Good morning, everyone. This is Jonah's prayer, and it's on page 928 and 929 of your Bibles. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. He said, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me, all your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit when my life was ebbing away. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah unto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, it's my privilege to speak about this amazing passage from the book of Jonah as we return to think about Jonah as the prodigal prophet. And the title of today's talk is Running from Grace. Now, people have said to me that they don't particularly like the God of the Old Testament. They think he's a bit mean and grumpy, and they particularly don't like the fact that he has a habit of smiting people. Smiting is a lovely word, isn't it? You don't use it anywhere else apart from what God does to people he's cross with. And they say, we like Jesus. We like him and his grace, but we're not so sure about the God of the Old Testament. But you know, the story of Jonah is filled with grace. It's filled with grace upon grace. It's filled with God's love and mercy and compassion. Because if it was me, by this point of the story, I think I would have left Jonah to drown in the middle of the ocean. I wouldn't have sent a fish to save him. He's been annoying beyond annoying and he's not been a very good prophet for God why not just leave him to drown but God provides God provides and the whole of creation responds in obedience to God's will have you ever thought about this part of the story from the perspective of the fish Because the fish is swimming around, probably minding his own business, having a nice day. Suddenly, God tells him he's got to go and swallow a whole human 
in this particular part of the sea and then keep him in his stomach for three days. That wasn't going to be very comfortable. Imagine. Just wouldn't have been, would it? And then he's got to swim to the shore and go shallow enough to vomit him out onto the beach. It wasn't a great job, Speck, I don't think, but the fish did it. He was obedient to God's will. There is a stream of Jewish thought that at the very point of creation, God fashioned this fish for this specific job, to go and scoop Jonah up and save him. All through the span of this story, we see that God is in control. Creation is obedient to his will. And behind the action, we can see that God has all the eventualities covered. As a result, Jonah depends upon God's grace, even when he's actively rebelling against him. These verses today are the turning point of the story. Before this, there's been one direction for Jonah. He's been going down. In the words, it says he goes down to Joppa on the coast to catch the boat. In the storm, he goes down to the depths of the boat. And then uh, now he's in the furthest depths. He's right down in the deep of the ocean, down in the depths. Jonah has been running from God's grace and he can go no further. He's reached the watery bottom of his journey. And now he shifts his attention at last from his own problems back onto God. Up until now, Jonah has relied on his own prowess and position. He had a life of comfort in the court of the king. But now all that has been stripped away. All of his buoyancy aids have been deflated. He's down in the depths. And in this moment of complete failure, Jonah finally becomes open to God's grace. We might wonder why it is so often the case, but it seems that it is always the way it works. When we get to the end of our resources, we find God there with more than enough to hold us and keep us going. Think of all the figures in the Bible that this has happened to. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Each one of them suffer. Then there's Joseph, who gets put in a pit and then actually put in prison for years before he rises to a position of power. Or Moses, who has to wander in the desert for decades before God can use him. Even those who were faithful still suffered. David and Elijah suffer. And Daniel ends up in the den with the lions, doesn't he? And Rak, Shak, and Benny are cast into the fiery furnace. They rely on God and God meets them there. That's before we even get to the New Testament where people like Peter and Paul reach the bottom before they make their journey up. It's only when you reach rock bottom, when everything else fall apart, falls apart, when all your schemes have failed, that you realize that God is there for you. Someone said, you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have.
you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Jonah had to go down to the bottom before he could make his way up because that's where we meet God's grace so frequently. Jonah's prayer, which is almost a psalm, charts the journey back. Jonah's been running away from God's grace and finally he accepts that God is the answer, that salvation comes from the Lord. So the action stops and Jonah is on his own with God in that belly of the fish or the whale. And Jonah sees that in his distress, there's only one place to go. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. He's as deep as he can possibly be. This week, uh, I went down to our nursery and we were singing with the children, our God is a great big God. And our God is a great big God. He's taller than the skyscrapers and he's deeper than the submarines. And this is where Jonah finds himself, deeper than the submarines. And God has still got Jonah in his hand. God will not let us go. The next thing that Jonah realizes is that God is behind his predicament. We know that it's the sailors who have thrown Jonah into the sea, but Jonah sees that it's God who's behind this. Jonah says to God, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, into the chaos and disorder of the waves. God has hurled him there. And God has held him there because Jonah has rebelled against him. Jonah can see that he has failed God. He's done wrong. Despite some ideas around today, it's not our job to decide what is right or wrong because we live in a moral universe. And there are patterns of good and evil woven into that universe. The thing that we need to see clearly is that we are all sinners, that we have all failed. We've all wandered like sheep away from the path. And we need to see more than anything that we don't deserve God's mercy and grace. We can never earn it. We have to admit this is not something that we can fix. However big a pile of self-help books you buy from the bookshop, you can't fix this on your own. We need God in the picture. We need God to help us. We need God to put things right. I took part in a webinar uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was set up by the Church of England. It, it had some fancy title like a masterclass webinar that sort of attracts you, doesn't it? Because you think, oh, they've invited me to a masterclass. I must go and see what this is about. And it was a, it was a webinar about moral injury. And the idea behind it was that uh, people had looked at people who had suffered a lot and people who had committed uh, awful crimes, and they'd found that in their recovery... They needed to address the moral injury that they had caused to the structure of the universe. The moral injury was part of their recovery. 
And this work was done mostly with soldiers returning from war zones. And as they'd been caught up in the war zone, they'd been forced or they'd done things that had separated them from God because they knew that they were so far from his will. They were so wrong. So if they'd had a child in the crosshairs of their rifle sights, nobody ever wants to be in that position, do you? Or if they'd had to kill someone when it wasn't, and then realized it wasn't necessary or it wasn't part of the plan. And so they'd worked with these soldiers and they'd seen that they were They could work with them to get over the PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder, and they could make some progress with them. But until they addressed the moral injury, the damage that they'd done to their soul, they wouldn't get better. And the person who was leading this work was a psychiatrist, a, a trained psychiatrist, but also a chaplain. And she was working with these people and helping them to find forgiveness and grace because there was no other way for them back to a more normal life. They knew that they'd caused a moral injury and their only way back was through forgiveness and grace. For Jonah, Jonah sees that the only way back for him is to look to the temple because in Jonah's time, that was where forgiveness was found. It was the place where God's presence dwelt and in the Holy of Holies, God was there in the Ark of the Covenant that held the law, the two tablets that had the Ten Commandments written upon them. And the law was God's holiness and God's presence was there. And the only thing that allowed that to exist within our world was that on top of it, made of pure gold, was a thing called the mercy seat. The mercy seat was there above God's law, above his holiness. And once... Uh, once in the year the priest would go and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat so that the people could be forgiven. This was the symbolism, the structures that were in place to allow the people of God to be forgiven. In that specific place, there was a place where forgiveness could be made real. Jonah sees that it's to the temple that he must turn. Jonah sees that that's the only way back because I have been banished and yet I will look again towards your holy temple. For us, we know that Jesus came to set us free, to bring us forgiveness. Our forgiveness is not found in a temple, it's found on a cross. And because Jesus died for us, all of us, are set free. His blood makes all of us clean. We are forgiven. We are targets for his grace. And in Romans chapter 3, Paul sums this up. He says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. For God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. That's quite technical and it's quite complex and it's quite condensed, isn't it? But it just means that 
through Jesus, we can find forgiveness. We can find a way back to a right relationship with God. That relationship can be restored. Those moral injuries can be wiped clean. There is a way back because of Jesus. Jonah finally gets right with God in the belly of the great fish. It's a meeting that shapes his life so that Jonah takes a new direction. He has a new purpose. But he's been brought down to the pit of despair before he realizes, he realizes that there is a way back. Before he realizes that those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. We need to know the way back. We need to share that way back. Worthless idols will not get us back in a right relationship with God. Jonah has seen the light in the depths and in the darkness. And the message for today is that this deepest, darkest realm of the dead is still there all around us and we still need to give people glimpses of God's grace. We need to see that God doesn't take us out of our suffering, but he meets us in our suffering. He meets us just as he met Jonah in the belly of that whale. Whatever our circumstances, whatever the mess we're in, we can remember that God is with us. We can, there's nowhere that we can go to escape God's love. For as well as good and evil being woven into the universe, God's mercy and grace mean that we can pass from one side to the other. We can be made right by Jesus. Jonah ends his exile when he decides to speak to God again. God has always been there and now he turns towards him and he says these words, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. It's a message for all of us. It's the conclusion that you reach when you've encountered God's grace. Salvation comes from the Lord. And does it still work today? Is it still what we see around us? On Friday, I was at Friday Fridge and just sat outside and we got to the time of the evening where we did the Bible study and there was a man who'd just arrived that night and he'd come and he said he'd come to get the food but he's also come for the Bible study because he'd realized that he'd got to the bottom. He'd realized that the drugs and the alcohol were not the way forward for him and he'd stood in his flat and as he'd stood in his flat, he'd met Jesus and Jesus had hold of him and he knew that this time Jesus wasn't gonna let go. Salvation comes from the Lord. And then yesterday, just yesterday on our Alpha Away Day, which was a brilliant day, Somebody shared that they'd been here in St. Jude's, sitting in the congregation, and they'd heard that Jesus transforms lives. And at that point, their life was a mess. But hearing that Jesus transforms lives had given them a way back, had given them a way to change their life, a new direction, a new path to take, because salvation comes from the Lord. And it might just be that there's somebody here today who's in a similar place, who's reached rock bottom, 
who's longing for something new in their life. And the message for all of us today is that Jesus is here. His grace is enough. And at the end of the service, if you are looking to experience this grace, this mercy, this peace, this love, this joy that all flow from Jesus, if that's you, then at the end of this service, there are people waiting to pray with you up in the chancel area, that yellow bit over there. So go and find them and ask them for prayer. Because God reaches down into the depths and he pulls us up. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it always will be. For we have all sinned. But God's grace is poured out for everyone. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. God's grace is there for everyone. Young or old, rich or poor, gay or straight or trans. It doesn't matter because God's grace is there for everyone. It's a free gift because God gave Jesus for our atonement, to set us free, to rescue us, to restore us. Jesus paid the price so that we could be rescued and in him we've been made children of God. Wherever you are this morning, whatever you've done, however you feel about who you are, God's grace is there for you. Salvation comes from the Lord and that's good news for us all. Let's stand and just respond to that in prayer. Lord, we pray that we would all know your grace and your mercy at work in our lives, that we would all know wherever we find ourselves today or in the future, you will be there with us. You will always hold us and lead us and guide us. And Lord, may this place be a church where your grace and your mercy are always available to whoever comes from wherever they come with whatever they come with. Lord, may this church speak words of grace into our community, into our world, into this universe for you. For we know that you will never let go. Let's sing of that truth now. Are the children coming? Children are coming back this morning. So if you'd like to go and collect your children during this song, children are coming back.